1208, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So, Eric, do you like the Thursday night football games? Not as much as I used to. I, I, no, I, I don't even need to have that qualifier. I, I think this is one of the examples of how the NFL doesn't care about the fans. They don't care about the players. All they care about is making money. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's just it. I mean, I don't think, and, and I mean, you, you look at what's going on. The Packers play Sunday. Mm-hmm. So they, they finish and they play Sunday afternoon. They move the game later on. So the game ends like 6 or so o'clock Sunday. They've scheduled a Thursday night game in Seattle. So the Packers are, you've only got three days before the game, which is half the normal preparation time, and you've got to fly halfway across the country. Now, and again, this is just the the Packers, but it happens every week. It's why you watch those Thursday night games, and it's almost impossible to watch because they're always terrible. Sloppy. They're they're just always terrible, and you, you have, I think, a disproportionate number of injuries because... Players that are used to having a few days to recover after a football game, they don't have that t- chance to recover. Maybe you got players that are trying to play through injuries. They're sloppy. I mean, I just, it is a travesty. And again, it, this is, I don't know how the Packers are going to do it. Maybe they'll go to Seattle and they'll win big, or maybe they'll lose. That's not my point. It's these Thursday night games. I, I think it's a clear example of how the NFL doesn't care about anything except, gee, we've got some TV revenue coming in. Disagree? No, no, I think you're absolutely right. Yeah, money money is king. Well, that's it. And and so the quality of game, they don't care. It could be a crappy, and it probably will be a crappy game. It's going to be a sloppy sort of game. You're going to have players that aren't going to be able to play that might have been able to play if the game was on a Sunday. They don't care about giving these players a chance to recover. I, You know, in the next collective bargaining agreement, I, you know, you'd like to see the NFL players maybe say, you know, this is just not good, but there's so much money involved, and that's all the NFL cares about that perhaps nothing will change. But um, Packers play on Thursday night. You're going to watch the game? Oh, it's a, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna watch and listen to it. Yeah, but but I mean I will tell you, um, I, I because it's the Packers, I'm gonna pay attention sure. to it. But I really Thursday night games in general, I don't pay that much attention to because again, it, it's not good football. It's almost never right, good right. football, yeah. and and you understand why they're used to they're used to having a week between games, or you know I understand sometimes you play on Monday night, then you play the next Sunday, but that that's six days, not not essentially three days. No, I'm not a fan of Thursday night football. I'm just I am I'm not, and I thought they were going to get rid of it because the, the ratings. I don't know how the ratings are this year. I mean, the last couple of years the ratings have not been good. Um, in part because I think fans kind of look and they say enough is enough. But yes, to answer your question, it is the Packers, so I will be. <laughs> I will have the game on television, and I will have Wayne and Larry on the radio. That is how I'm consuming Excellent. it. But I will be grumbling about Thursday night football, and if it's a sloppy, miserable game, I will probably revisit this at some point in time on Friday. We are live streaming the first couple segments of the program. It's facebook.com slash 620 WTMJ. By the way, if you miss part of the show, um, I invite you to go to the podcast page. It's WTMJ.com. Click on mobile apps. Subscribe to the podcast. I know thousands and thousands of you do that every month because I get a chance to see the numbers, and it's a chance to hear the entire show. All right, let us get started. Last night, this is not a particularly brilliant observation. I, I understand. You tune in sometimes to hear, like, this in-depth analysis. No, this, this is not necessarily a brilliant observation. But last night, it was really cold. It, it it just was. It was one of those deals where we had um, our, our friends John and Mary over for for dinner, and afterwards, I it's 
uh, about 11 o'clock or so and ready to kind of turn in, go to bed. So I put on my coat. I take my little dog out, give her a walk before we, we go to bed so she doesn't wake up in the middle of the night. And it, it was cold. Now, I understand it's not mid-January cold, but it it has been abnormally cold outside. And last night was no secret. It's no change to that. It was extremely cold. So this morning, I get into work, and one of my teammates is saying, hey, they're, they're going to be sending out a statement from the, the Milwaukee Department of Public Works. Something happened at the tow lot last night. And I, I admit to saying, what could have happened at the tow lot last night that would have generated the, the need to put out a public statement? I was thinking, did somebody break into the tow lot and vandalize cars? or What, what could it have been? Well, here's the deal. Apparently, what happened is... Last night, uh, early this morning, 12.30 a.m., police officers stop a minivan for allegedly driving while intoxicated. So I don't know anything about the driver. They're not releasing those details yet. Don't know whether it was a male or a female. All I know is the minivan gets pulled over for, for drunk driving. They take the driver into custody. Right. What happens then is when you take a driver into custody, you can't just leave the car on the street. Right. So the protocol is to call the Department of Public Works, DPW, and they send out a a tow truck and the tow truck takes in the minivan. You can't just, again, leave it on the street because the driver is drunk. The driver is not going to be driving the car. So they get it off the street. So what happens is they arrest the driver. They find a 10 month old child in the minivan before it ends up getting towed. So they, they take the 10-month-old. Now, this is last night. It's 1230 in the morning. So it's really, really cold outside. So they they take they take the 10-month-old. All right? Fine. Nobody apparently searches the minivan because if they had, they would have found that there was another child that was in the car, apparently sleeping in the back seat of the minivan. There's a four-year-old who is in the car, in the minivan, who doesn't wake up while all this is happening. They find the 10-month-old, take her, and leave. The the, the police apparently don't find, don't search, don't see the four-year-old that's in the car. So the tow truck driver comes. They put the minivan apparently on a flatbed truck. They drive it to the tow lot. Meanwhile, the child is still there. Now, their protocol is that, you know, when when the vehicle gets to the tow lot, what happens is somebody does a walk around the vehicle with a flashlight looking in the car. We don't know if that was done or not. But if it was done, it was done in sort of a half-butted way because they don't find the girl. So what happens is 8.30 this morning, officials at the tow lot hear a child screaming and crying from inside the car and then apparently go, oh, what what's going on here? So they then kind of open the door, and it turns out that there was this four-year-old that spent the night in the car, locked in the car, in the tow lot, and nobody noticed her. Apparently, at that point in time, they, they first uh, 
uh, fire officials get called out and they say, okay, she's, she seems to be okay. And then they transport her to the, the hospital. The end of the statement says Milwaukee Public Works is reviewing more on the situation. But the bottom line is you had this, this four year old that spent the night in, in the back of the, the van locked in, locked in the tow yard because nobody apparently thought to do uh, at least an even cursory search of the car, which would undoubtedly have turned up somebody. Now, there's a lot of blame to go around here. And and let's start with the fact that I I don't understand how, and again, I I don't know who the driver was. I don't know if it's a father, mother, whatever. But first of all, I guess my first question is, if I get pulled over for drunk driving and I've got kids in the car, one of the first things that I am going to say is, there's kids in the car. <laughs> there's a, there's an infant in the car, and there's a four-year-old in the back. And apparently that did not happen. So whoever it was that suspected for drunk driving, I'm assuming, did not tell the police that there was a child in the back seat. They found the 10-month-old, but they didn't find the four-year-old. All right, secondly, I, I got to imagine that as part of standard police protocol, when you're going to be taking somebody into custody for drunk driving, you're going to do a search of the vehicle. Aren't you going to be looking for guns or drugs or contraband or something else? So apparently that did not happen on the scene, or else presumably you would have found the four-year-old. And then we come to the, the tow truck people who pull up and apparently put the car on the back of a flatbed, take it to the tow lot, and nobody nobody thinks to look inside the car, and as a result, you have a four-year-old that ends up spending the night inside this car in a freezing tow lot in Milwaukee, and authorities are reviewing it. Our number, 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, look, here, here, the good news is, at least so far, that there, don't, there does not appear to be any serious injury to the four-year-old, other than the fact that I'm sure she was scared out of her mind when you find yourself in the middle of nowhere, dad or mom is gone, and you're, you're, you're locked in this car in a tow lot. Doesn't appear that she was injured, but this, this could have been a really, really bad thing. I mean, it was pretty darn cold last night. I mean, keep in mind, you know, you leave your car, you, you know, people who leave their child in a Walmart parking lot for an hour with the engine not running end up getting charged with child neglect, you know, when it's cold outside. How many times have we seen that? In this case, because of a series of what appears to be neglect, you know, you had a child that was in a car for eight-plus hours. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If I could summarize this in three words, it would be heads should roll. 414-799-1620. Does somebody need to be held accountable for this, or is this just, well, it's one of these mistakes, mistakes like this happen, no harm, no foul, the kid wasn't seriously injured. 414-799-1620, we discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. Once again, we live stream, facebook.com slash 620 WTMJ. Back to discuss in just a moment, 1219 Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 
1222, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, the holidays right around the corner. We are back with our annual holiday radio show. It's WTMJ Presents the Night Before Christmas, starring Gene Miller, Jane Matinair, yours truly, and a sleigh full of Wisconsin celebrities from Turner Hall in downtown Milwaukee on Monday, November 26th at 6.30. That is two weeks from yesterday. The live radio play is recorded in front of a studio audience. You can be part of it. Buy tickets now. My note says that there are less than 50 left. So um, we've been selling them quite, quite quickly. There are less than 50 left. So if you're thinking about going, um, you don't delay any longer. Go to WTMJ.com or text the word Christmas to 414-799-1620. My guess is we will be sold out in the next couple of days. Less than 50 are left. All right, 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This this is just an amazing story to me as, as as to how this could happen. Keep in mind, again, you leave a child in an unheated car in temperatures like last night for an hour or two in a shopping center, and you will be charged with child neglect. So 12.30 a.m. last night, police stop a drunk driver. They take the drunk driver out of the car. That there's a 10 month old in there. And by the way, nothing I'm saying here diminishes the, you know, whoever this was that's driving drunk with children in their car. They deserve to have the book thrown at them. They take the 10 month old out. There is a four year old apparently sleeping in the car. The police don't do a check of the car. At least if they do, they don't see the kid. The people who show up to hook the car and tow it don't do a check of the car. Or if they do, they don't see the kid. Protocol is when the car arrives at the Milwaukee tow lot, somebody is supposed to, again, look at the car to make sure, I guess, number one, that there's no contraband in it. And number two, that there's no people in it. If they did this check, they did it in a half-butted way or they didn't do it at all. And as a result, you have a four-year-old child that is stuck in that car in the tow lot all night last night in an unheated car. 414-799-1620. Let's see. Um, and a number of people make the point that um, you don't lose sight of the fact that, you know, you, you have the drunk driver who's driving with the car, uh, who's driving with the kids in the car and doesn't even recognize, apparently is too drunk to say to the cops or to say to somebody, hey, there's two children in the car. So, I mean, that that's a huge issue. But at the same time, I something has to happen. Heads, I think, have to roll on something like this. Here's a text. Both the police officers and the tow truck employees all need to be held responsible for this child's scary night. They don't need to lose their jobs, but some sort of refresher course on procedures for different situations need to take place. Um, also, just wonder who picked up the 10-month-old child, and while nothing was brought about the 4-year-old, which which is, I think, one of the other questions about this, didn't anybody say anything that, you know, there's a 4-year-old child here? Another text, I think the arresting officer should be reprimanded for not searching the vehicle before it was towed, which I think is is a fair point. Another text, sorry, this is a situation where several people, police, DPS, and the tow contractors must be fired. Another text, an absolute miracle that the child did not freeze to death last night. And by the way, that's that's the truism. Here, at least, we're talking about just negligence and a screw-up on the part of public employees, in addition to whoever the drunk was. And and it, But it appears to be like no harm, no foul. It's a tough night for the child. But this could easily have gone – this could have easily gone the other way. I mean, another – 
you know, another 10 degrees, another 15 degrees cooler, something like that, a heavier wind. And maybe you're talking about a completely different situation with a child that, if if not dead, is seriously injured about this. Here, here's the bottom line of all this. I think it goes without saying that this is completely and it's totally unacceptable. Do I think the people involved need to necessarily be fired? No. But this should be a wake-up call to Tom Barrett's Milwaukee that, you know, I don't know about a refresher course, but this is definitely where something where discipline needs to be done. I'm not saying that people need to be fired, but procedures weren't followed, or if they were followed, they weren't followed appropriately, and they weren't done well. And the result could have been devastating. At the very least, this is something where people need to be suspended. I don't know if it's a week or two weeks or a month. And again, people need to be told, you know, when you're taking custody of vehicles, you know, you have an obligation to, you know, make sure that there's not people in them and people who could get injured. This is it's a staggering, staggering story. And like I say, heads need to roll, not necessarily people losing their jobs, but this could have been a lot worse easily. And then we're not just talking about people losing their jobs or people being suspended for a few days. We're talking about whether there's criminal negligence in connection with something like this. At the very least, it's a wake-up call that you've got some people who aren't doing their jobs. And nothing, like I say, is intended to diminish the fact that whoever was behind the wheel of the car in the first place set all this in motion. And I don't, for the life of me, understand how if you're getting hauled out of a car for drunk driving with kids in it, you you can be so blotto that you don't point out that there's two children that are left in that car, one 10-month-old, one four, months, four years old. I mean, a lot of blame to go around here, but a very, very bad story that could have turned out really horrible. 1228, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. In less than five minutes, CNN sues the president. We're going to discuss. Stick around. 1235, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So glad to have you with us. All right, I I was saying earlier, uh, last week I I spent a bunch of time watching a a documentary that the History Channel did, a five-part documentary on on the Watergate scandal. And and I was a teenager during Watergate, and it it was just... I mean, it was kind of fascinating to relive that, and I remembered all the different events, but I didn't quite remember them as vividly. And it was it was a very interesting thing, a huge part of American history, and, and again, I think sort of a teachable moment maybe for for politicians that it's not. Again, it's the crimes of arrogance. Richard Nixon was going to be reelected overwhelmingly back in 1972, but he was so paranoid that he created the, these these groups who decided to go out and pull these dirty tricks and do illegal activities like breaking into the Democratic National Committee. I mean, he created that culture and then ended up covering it up, and he ended up getting um, resigning in the, in the face of impeachment. It, it was a, just a monumental time in American history, and it was fascinating to see that that occur. People have forgotten about Watergate. I think there's a lot of people that have also forgotten about the other time in recent history, or at least semi-recent history, that there was an impeachment proceeding started against the president and the answer to my question to eric bilstad is what happened 20 years ago next month was that was the attempt to impeach bill clinton december of 1998 the the entire year of 1998 was really what they call the clinton affair i bring this up because a and e is debuting a a six-hour six-part 
three-night documentary. So I guess it's like six-hour-long episodes, and they're going to show two a night um, starting on Sunday. And it's called the, the Clinton Affair. And I think they probably think it's pretty timely because now there's, with the Democrats taking over the House of Representatives, there's going to be all this conversation about, uh, again, you know, do you bring impeachment against President Trump or whatever? But I, I know many people are just forget that time. And it seems to me like it was kind of just yesterday, but it was it was 20 years ago. Now, what makes this documentary apparently so explosive is that while the Clintons did not cooperate with this, Monica Lewinsky did. Now, for people who might not now, Gru, who's producing the show, do you know about the Clintons and the Monica Lewinsky thing? You you do. Okay, all right. You know, but you were you were young. You probably weren't even a teenager when this was going on. You were 10 years old. All right, but, I mean, the, the, the bottom line is, for people who might not be familiar with it, Bill Clinton, who had a, a lengthy reputation as a womanizer, uh, ended up having, and I don't even know if it's fair to describe it as an affair, but he, he ended up having sexual contact in the Oval Office with a 25-year-old intern named Monica Lewinsky. And and it was just, it was about as sordid as it could possibly be. Monica Lewinsky, who was, I mean, you want to talk about something that, that kind of defined her entire life. Monica Lewinsky um, was ripped by a lot of feminists, um, Hillary Clinton and a number of, Prominent Democrats decided that, you know, they were going to side with Bill Clinton. But in any event, what's apparently interesting about this documentary is is Monica Lewinsky decided to cooperate. And I've been reading excerpts of this. She gives an extended and extensive discussion about her relationship with the president and how it started and all these different types of things and what happened. And it's just it's it's sorted. And it's just fascinating in many respects. And I'm sure we talked yesterday about about Hillary Clinton. You know, a lot of people seem close to Hillary Clinton think that she's going to run for president again in 2020, 2020. I don't personally believe that. I think her time has passed. And I don't think I don't think she's going to have the path to the Democratic nomination in 2020 that she had in 2016. I, I think that the torch has been passed. But this this is one, especially in the era of the, the Me Too movement and stuff. My sense is from the previews of this show that I've watched, you, you get the idea why Bill Clinton was not on the campaign trail at all in 2018. I mean, he was just toxic. He was just toxic. And my sense is from what's going to be contained in this documentary, especially the interviews with Monica Lewinsky, I, I don't think this is going to help burnish the former president's reputation at all. But in the category of time does fly, it was 1998 when the whole Clinton impeachment, the Monica Lewinsky scandal broke, and the impeachment proceedings were December of 1998. And if you want to take a step back into the time capsule and, and really hear Monica Lewinsky 25 or 20 years later reflecting on that time, and, and maybe, maybe people won't, maybe people say, well, look, there, there's no, I got no interest in this, who, who cares? But I think it's going to be absolutely fascinating, and uh, it's called The Clinton Affair, and that documentary kicks off two parts. Um, the first two parts air on Sunday night on A&E, 20 years ago next month. Wow. All right, when we come back, I want to talk about the president, I want to talk about CNN, and I want to talk about a lawsuit that CNN filed today. Stick around. It's 1241. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 
1245, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. How would former British Prime Minister Winston Churchill have gotten along with President Donald Trump? Hmm. John McCure explores with a prolific Churchill biographer at 434 on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. I think you can make an argument that Winston Churchill was flaws and all. Probably maybe the most significant figure of the 20th century. I think, I don't know that I think that that's an, an overstatement. But uh, and just an, an amazing, amazing guy, again, with seriously flawed. But uh, you, you wonder what the history of the world would have looked like had it not been for Churchill's ability to mobilize the British people in the face of the Hitler attacks in 1940. All right. Last Wednesday, after the midterm elections, President Trump decides to have a, a sort of rambling press conference to talk about the midterms, and it ended up going like an hour and 20 minutes. It was just, I, I know it, I was watching it just kind of going, wow, just wow. But but that that is President Trump. He starts off the press conference by calling on CNN reporter Jim Acosta. We have talked about Acosta before. Acosta is, in my opinion, a complete and total jerk. He's the guy, he's CNN White House correspondent. He, I think, has a pattern of being disrespectful to the president. And, and again, I think I understand there's people who say that, OK, this is this is fine. The president brings that about. He he is he's not a reporter, in my opinion, in the sense of normally reporters who cover the White House. He's what I would call an advocacy journalist. People on CNN and the people who watch CNN love him. The people who support the president or like the president hate Jim Acosta. He's he's just he is very, very aggressive. What happens in this press conference is the president calls on him. They quickly get into it, and Acosta refuses to sit down. He, he refuses to give up the microphone. He starts continuing to ask questions. The president tells him that CNN is a terrible network and that he's a horrible person, et cetera, et cetera, and then you're off to the races. But but he's disrespectful of the president. The president clearly disdains him, president clearly, clearly loathes him. And then after this, after this set to, what happens is the White House pulls Acosta's press credential. He has what they call a, a hold pass. Um, a hard, I'm sorry, it's called a hard pass, and it, it's a permanent press pass that's issued by the White House. CNN has about 50 of these, so it's not like he's the only guy from CNN that has a right to, um, that, that has a right to, to go into the White House. What these passes do is they give you access, not to the whole White House, but they give you access beyond what an individual person would have. Uh, but you're, so you're essentially, if you've got one of these hard passes, you're allowed to go anywhere that the press can go in the White House. So th- they pull it. They pull it, and now there's this ongoing controversy. Is the president trying to stifle free speech, et cetera, et cetera? CNN has now filed a federal lawsuit against the Trump administration, alleging that by pulling Acosta's press pass, they are violating his and CNN's First Amendment rights to have whoever they want report on the president and his Fifth Amendment rights to due process because there wasn't a hearing or anything. For their part, the White House says, and and by the way, there was some there was some talk at one point in time about did he get physical with an intern? The White House is defending the action now, saying simply, "Look, we have the right to have some control over you know the press availabilities, and when you have a reporter who refuses to 
stop answering, asking questions. We have a reporter who refuses to sit down when he's told to sit down. You, you, you can't allow that. So the White House says that that's why we ended up pulling this. All right. Our number, 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, this this raises sort of interesting a, a, you know, areas of First Amendment law. And there really hasn't been a case decided relevant to this since about 1977. Some legal experts say CNN's got a winning case. Others say, well, maybe it's not going to be necessarily that clear because, uh, again, the White House isn't pulling press passes from all of CNN. CNN still has 50 of these hard passes. It's just they're going after this one reporter. And shouldn't the White House have the ability, if you've got a reporter that they say is out of control, shouldn't it be up to the White House to decide who that they're going to allow in? I don't know how the courts are ultimately going to decide this, but I do think it raises an interesting issue, and that's what I want to talk about with you. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Should the White House be able to pull Jim Acosta's press pass for what it perceives as as rude and um, essentially efforts to behavior that essentially is putting himself above all the other members of the press corps. I mean, do they have to tolerate somebody who, again, refuses to follow instructions, continues to ask questions after he's been told to sit down? Do they have or should they have the right to pull his press pass? Or because he's a reporter who works for CNN, should CNN have the exclusive right to decide what, you know, what their reporters do? All right, 414-799-1620. Again, I don't want to discuss what a court might decide ultimately on the First Amendment. We'll let smarter people than me decide that. But my question is, do you think Acosta's behavior warrants having his press pass pulled, or is this just a vindictive beatdown on the part of President Trump and his administration, and does it raise broader questions about freedom of the press, the argument being if you can pull Acosta's press pass for essentially being a jerk, does that mean you could pull everybody's press pass? We discuss in a minute. If you're on the line, please hold on. 1251, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1254, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Uh, CNN filed a lawsuit against the President of the United States. This is, well, I don't want to say it's unprecedented, but this um, might be the first time in 30-plus years, maybe 40-plus years, that this particular thing has happened. And it's all over the decision of the White House to pull the press credential, credentials of Jim Acosta. CNN still has 50 press passes, so it's not like they're denying the network the right to cover the White House. But they are saying this particular reporter, no, at least for the moment, he's not welcome. Should they have the right to do that? Let's talk to Randy in Greenfield. Hi, Randy. Hi. Um, I believe that the White House has the right to do that, and if they don't, the next reporter could act up the same way and get away with it. Well, and, I, I guess the question would <clears throat> I guess the, the question would be um, should, should should reporters have an absolute right to do it? I mean, if they're 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 supposed to do their job, if they want to be jerks and not give up the floor and not take no for an answer, shouldn't they have a right to do that? Uh, to a certain point, maybe, but. Uh, I I don't believe it acting that way. So right, no, no. Thank, I know. I understand. That, see, thank, see, and that that's sort of what that that's kind of what to me the the issue is. I mean, do you as a government official 
have the right to set certain rules with regard to who you are going to give this favored access to. And if you have somebody that, in your opinion, is violating those rules by being rude or whatever or deciding that they're going to monopolize the time, do you have a right to say, okay, sorry, you know, we're not, we're, we're not telling you you can't cover the White House, but we're telling you that we're not going to give you this special access. Does a reporter, I guess, have an absolute right to, to a press pass if their, their network says we want this person to cover it? And I guess my answer would be, I, I don't think that there's necessarily an absolute right. Some argue that the only way you could restrict somebody's right to be there is if you could show that they're a threat to the president. I, I don't know that I, I believe that. Now, th- this is different, by the way. Than me saying that I, I if, if I were President Trump, I would not have pulled his press pass because, again, you make him a hero. That That's one of the things that's going on here. I would have just I would have frozen him out. I wouldn't have called on him. And, and that, you know, yeah, he can still be there. He can say, Mr. President, Mr. President, I just wouldn't have called on him. I would have frozen him out. By pulling the press pass, you make him a hero and you create this First Amendment issue I would have just let him sit there and not answered questions, but that's not how the Trump administration decided to handle it. Frank in East Troy. Frank, you're in WTMJ. Hello. Hi. What do you think? You just, you just said what I was thinking all the way along the line. I would have just froze him out. Not I wouldn't have pulled the pass. I would have just let him sit there and stew in it. Well, right, because now you by doing what they've done, they have made him. They have made him a hero. You have all the resistance people, and now everybody in the media saying, well, th- this could happen to me, and, and we can't allow we can't allow a government official to sort of restrict us access. And so, you know, they're losing sight of the fact of why the guy had his press pass pulled in the first place, which was just kind of rude behavior. But they, they've made him a hero. I, I wouldn't have pulled his press pass, but at the same time, he did kind of bring it on himself. Yes, he did. Right. No, thanks. I would have yeah. just left. I would have let him stew on it. I, 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 right, thanks. I would have too, and that—that's what I said when this whole thing, you know, blew up the other day. I think President Trump was spoiling for a fight um, because he called on Acosta right out of the box. I mean, again, if—and you know what you're going to get. I mean, this is not a secret. This has been going on for quite a while. He could have just ignored him, and there wouldn't have been an issue. Gene in Waukesha, Gene, you're on WTMJ. Hi. Hi, Gene. Um, I, I definitely think he had the right to pull his press, uh, press pass. Right. Um, I think he was totally disrespectful, and I think we have just gotten so out of line in this country that we accept this disrespectful behavior as okay, mm-hmm. that it's not okay, and it, it, this should not be allowed at a press conference. He has the right to speak, he has the right to ask a question, but he does not have the right to ignore and disrespect the president right. when the president told him to stop and sit down. Well, and I think this is this is showing that this is... Not not accepted. Period. Well, it'll be interesting. I mean, thanks to God, it'll it'll be interesting as this as this moves through the courts because this is going to be a First Amendment issue, and it's going to come down to really the question about whether or not uh, a president of the United States has the the ability to control um, who has access to the White House, and, and do you have control over that, or is the only limitation? Gee, if CNN wants to send in somebody, they can send in anybody they want, and unless you can demonstrate that that person is is a threat to the president, can can you bar them? I don't know how that is ultimately going to turn out, but I will tell you, uh, in this particular situation, I would say a pox on, on both of their houses. president shouldn't have called on him. The guy shouldn't have been a jerk, and then we wouldn't be where we are today. 1259, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 
109, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. JS Online is reporting that the, the driver of that car, the drunk driver that had the 10-month-old and the 4-year-old in the car, and then all the authorities missed the fact that there was a 4-year-old in the car, it was the uh, the mother of the children. So that's what they're saying. The mom, and again, I, I, I am, by the way, I, again, my, my theory on this whole thing is head should roll. And to me, it's more than just unacceptable. You, how, how can you be so screwed up that you, you take a vehicle into custody and you, you don't – nobody involved in this, whether it's the officers on the scene or the person that comes to hook up the car or it's the person at the tow truck lot, uh, who, who, how can it be so screwed up that you don't notice that there is a child in the backseat on a frigid night? None of that, though, it does diminish the fact that this mother – what kind of mother? All right. I mean, I mean, how blind drunk do you have to be that, you know, you're getting hauled off or whatever you're getting tested and, and you don't happen to mention, oh, by the way, there's a there's there's I've got the infant and there's a there's a four year old in the car. I mean, what what type of mother is this that you don't share that? And then, of course, presumably somebody came. They did something with the 10 month old. Presumably they, they turned that over to somebody. Does nobody Really say, oh, by the way, what happened to the four-year-old? I mean, apparently, you know, th- this goes on. They find the four-year-old at 8.30 in the morning. So there's just a ton of blame to go around. But but nobody on the side of the drunken mother or allegedly drunken mother, nobody says, oh, what happened to the other child? I, I mean, it's Gru, who's producing the show today. Oh, you're just shaking your head, too. I mean, it's just, ah, how, how does this happen? The, 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 okay, the, the drunk mother... All right, you know, she doesn't say, oh, by the way, there's two kids in the car. The cops and everybody misses the second child in the car, but whoever they turn the 10-month-old over to, assuming it's a family member or a friend, nobody says, well, what happened to little Jenny? (laughs) At that point in time, you would think that somebody, some red flag might go off. I mean, this it is a screw-up of epic proportions on so many different levels and in criticizing the way the city of Milwaukee botched this, and they did botch it big time, you can't lose sight of the fact that uh, this doesn't appear like this lady's going to get Mother of the Year awards, and I would be interested to know in why nobody else that's associated with her you know, thought to say, oh, you know, there's a four-year-old that we can't find. Just saying. All right. Follow-up, day two, to the story that we talked about during the 12 o'clock hour yesterday. And I understand everybody's been buzzing about this. This is the photograph taken at Baraboo High School on the courthouse steps last May during junior prom. It features 50 to 60 at the time Baraboo High School juniors, now they are seniors, most of them making what appears to be the, the Nazi salute. This had been around for, this picture had been around for a long time. Somebody notices this, raises the question, it all goes viral. A number of the comments that were made by some of the kids at the time before this went viral suggested to me that the kids knew exactly what they were doing. One of them was, well, we even got, it wasn't one of them like, we even got the black kid to raise his hand to do this. I mean, so that tells me that that some or all of the kids knew what they were doing. All right, so now there's this huge discussion. And as I said yesterday, I don't know why the police department is involved in this. This is not a, in my opinion, it's not a criminal action. And I don't even know that there's much the school can do as far as discipline goes. Although, I I do think this is when you turn into a teachable moment. And if I were that school, I would be, well, I'd be immediately 
teaching everybody, particularly the senior class, about the meaning of the Holocaust, Schindler's List. I would be canceling this Friday. I would be canceling classes in the afternoon and saying, hey, we're going to show Schindler's List, if nothing else, to let some of these people realize that what they did wasn't funny. But all right, so here's here's the, the follow-up to this. The photographer, the guy that took the photograph, is apparently one of the fathers of one of the children. And he is saying... No, 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 this is, everybody is misinterpreting this. He says he asked the boys to give him a high five for the photograph taken in, in May. So this was, this was not the Nazi salute. This was just, I asked them to like, give me, give me a high five. And, and that's, that's what they were doing. And I'm sorry if people have misconstrued this, but this, this is not what it looks like. All right, our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let me just say this. I don't know what the photographer said to the kids. I don't know what the instruction was. But I do not, for one minute, buy the notion that the vast majority of these kids didn't know what they were doing. And this was, oh, this was just a high five. This was just a wave. Now, I'm not saying that the photographer told them, all right, give, give me the, the Sig Heil, the Nazi salute. I'm not saying they said that. But it is clear to me that a number of the kids, and maybe all of them, but a number of them decided we're going to be funny. We think we're going to try to be funny. We think this is a joke, so we are going to extend our hands as in the Heil Hitler slo- solution. This, to me, wasn't, gee, we're just waving. This, to me, at least from the majority of the kids, I don't believe that they didn't know what they were doing. I don't believe that this was, oh, this is misconstrued. I think the kids thought they were, maybe not all of them, but many, many, many of them knew exactly what they were doing, and they thought they were being funny by doing this. That's what I think happened. But let's tee this up. Do you believe the notion that, oh, this is all being misconstrued? These kids weren't doing the Heil Hitler thing. They were just, they were just kind of like waving, giving a high five, kind of waving to their parents. Do you believe that? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, for one, don't buy it. I think these kids thought they were being clever. They thought they were being funny and they really don't understand what it was that they were joking about, something that is no laughing matter. But let's tee this up. Was this innocent on the part of the kids, or was this just a really sort of sick joke without the kids realizing perhaps fully the ramifications? 414-799-1620. I just I don't buy that this is this innocent explanation. Just don't buy it. What do you think? We discuss in just a minute. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 117. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 120, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Okay, the, 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 the dad that took this photograph says, no, this is all a big misunderstanding. I simply asked all these kids in Baraboo to, to make a high five or, or to wave. And I, I don't, it's, if people misconstrued this, I don't get it. I, I'm sorry, I just don't believe that. I look at this picture, it strikes me, and as a matter of fact, some of the kids at school are, are saying this, that you know there were a number of those students who decided, hey, we're going to laugh. This is going to be our opportunity to, to kind of do the Sig Heil thing. I don't know what they were told by the photographer, but everybody who says, oh, this is just an innocent wave, that's I, you'll never convince me of that. Um, let's start with Dana in Hales Corners. Hi, Dana. 
Hi, Jeff. I am 100% with you on this. Yeah. This man thinks we are idiots if he thinks we are going to buy that explanation. I, at no point in waving your arm do you ever make it rigidly straight out right. in front of you with your fingers all together. Right, right. I mean, come on. He is, he's making it worse. Well, right. And, and I guess what, what's bothersome is, now keep in mind, this guy had this on his website. All right. So if he didn't tell the kids to do this, everybody who looks at this sees what a number of the kids are doing. They're laughing. They're joking. Not everybody, but most of them seem to think this is funny to do this. I can't believe that any photographer looking at this, regardless of what you told the kids, wouldn't have seen what was going on here and had the common sense that God gave a goose to say, okay, maybe we're, maybe we're not going to put this photograph up on the internet. Exactly. That was, it was stupid of him to put it out there in the first place. Um, yeah, no, th- thanks for, I mean, I just, I don't, uh, again, I, I, I'm not saying that I think the photographer said, okay, I want everybody to make it look like they're, they're doing the Heil Hitler thing. Maybe that's what he said. Okay, raise your hand and wave it. So maybe this was a spontaneous thing. A lot of the kids decided, here, this is what we're going to do. Ha, ha, ha. Won't that be funny? Thinking like high school junior boys occasionally think. But that doesn't mean that they weren't trying to do what it looks like exactly they were trying to do. Let's talk to Alan in West Bend. Alan, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, you kind of saw my my, th- your, my thunder there. Uh-huh. I was saying the same thing. Once you take a picture, and in this day and age, you get a chance to look at it before you put it out there. They looked at this picture and put it out there online thinking that it would be funny. If you want to take a picture and it doesn't look right, common sense would tell you to take, retake the picture again because it doesn't look right. So I think he's lying. They put it out there online for everyone to see, thought it would be funny, and it now it's backfired on them. Yeah, I mean, I, I think this was, again, on the part of the, the kids, they're junior boys who are historically ignorant. They thought that this would be funny. Ha, ha, ha. This is kind of our class thing without realizing the consequences of what we're doing. And now the reality is this is going to follow them for a, a while. Now, thanks for calling. I mean, this, the, I, as I said yesterday, I mean, here, here's one of the realities. Fair, unfair, whatever. Anytime anybody who is now in this high school class, five years from now, 10 years from now, 15 years from now, wants to run for public office or is up for some job or something, you know, somebody is going to be able to go back, pull out this photograph and say, oh, hey, aren't you the guy third from the right with your hand extended like you're making the Heil Hitler thing? And and maybe maybe it won't be an issue in a campaign, but, but maybe it will. And this is how stupid it is. And this is why they, they shouldn't have taken the picture and they shouldn't have certainly had it up on the Internet and to just kind of pass this off, well, it, it's a, it's a joke. This was a high five. I'm sorry. I just that's not how it appears to me. And I'm not one of these guys who's who's looking for anti, who goes around every morning looking for anti-Semitism or racism or something like that. But you know, when you see something like this, it, it just it seems to me it is impossible to deny it. Now maybe the kids were trying to be funny. Maybe this was a joke that kind of backfired. Okay. Well, in that case, maybe it's the adult that should say, all right, kids, knock this off. You destroy that photograph, and then you move on. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Don in Portage. Don, you're on WTMJ. Uh, No, I didn't have much to say, except most of those kids are sheep. You know, they follow the, the main guy in the class. But if you look at that picture, the center guy... It's got the big fig aisle going. Yeah. But if you look at that little guy on the left, he's got the white supremacy sign. 
Yeah. They got one. He's got it on his thigh. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, I, 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 I've seen that. I, I've seen that, and I've seen some people saying that that's what that that was. Um, I again, I don't. Yeah, I don't know one I way or the either, other. But, but no, I got it from my wife this morning, and she hangs around. That she's at the schools, right? And she says that is the sign for the white supremacy thing. Yeah, I. I th- it, but it, it, right, it, it. If if the kid is doing that because the kid thinks that's funny as well, what an idiot! But. It, this idea that no, 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 everything that everybody else is seeing in that picture isn't right. I'm, I'm sorry, I just I don't buy it. Danny in West Dallas, Danny, you're in WTMJ. Good afternoon. You know, I don't buy it either. As much as I, I would love to be able to to believe that that it's not what it means, but I don't. Only because back when I was in high school, got thirty some years ago, I remember there was a popular kid that thought on Halloween. It'd be funny to dress as Hitler. And he had three of his friends dressed as SS soldiers. Yeah. yeah. And now I came, I come from a small farming community where my family was the only Jewish family, and we were only half Jewish. But still, I was immediately, you know, unbelievably offended. Right. And it takes a lot to offend me. <laughs> but I was just like, oh, come on. Right. You know, no, and, exactly. And I mean, I don't, I mean, thanks. I mean, you certainly get the idea that among some of the kids, that this was was orchestrated. Bob in West Bend. Bob, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Yes, in that picture, in the upper right-hand corner, there's a young man standing with his arms bound. Right. He didn't raise his hand. They interviewed him on TV this morning, and he said they were told it was going to be the Heil Hitler salute, and he said he refused to do it and wished he could have gotten out of the picture entirely. Right. So they knew it up front. Right. By they, you mean the kids. This is something the kids, that the kids, the kids yeah. all knew it because yeah. he refused to put his hand up. He did the right thing. Yeah, it's in, I mean, thanks. To, yeah, there, there's, there's one of the kids, and I think that we might be talking about the same one, one of the seniors, top right, um, and I'm, I'm looking at the story that appears in the Madison paper, Madison, uh, the state journal. Um, they quote an 18 year old student. His name is Jordan Blue. He says, yeah, he's in the top of the photo with his arms at his side and a neutral expression while most of his classmates are pictured laughing. He says it was very upsetting to me. It was very disrespectful to what my beliefs are and a bad representation of our class, which tells me that the people knew what they were doing. Now, again, I, I don't know what the dad said. I don't know what the instructions were, the photographer, but you do get the idea that this was orchestrated by a number of kids in the class, and to explain it, no, 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 there's nothing to see here. It was just a high-five or waving goodbye to your parents or whatever. I'm sorry, I didn't just fall off that turnip truck. Now, this is this is a different question than, you know, what do you do with the kids or things like that, it, but this idea that they, they weren't doing this intentionally, and everybody that looks at this and sees the Heil Hitler gesture is somehow missing the point. I, I just don't buy it. I'm, I'm sorry. Not all the kids, but certainly a lot of them, and it's just poor judgment. And unfortunately, as I said a couple minutes ago, it's going to haunt a number of these kids, I think, potentially for the rest of their lives. So teachable moment, maybe, for everybody else that thinks this stuff, oh, let's do something that's funny. All right, I don't think there's anybody in Baraboo that thinks this is funny today. 128, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 138, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Okay, yeah, so Gru is saying, okay, the tease was, what the hell is wrong with people? And you're wondering where, I mean, there's just so many different answers that you could have to this question. But 
there is this thing that has been going on for several years now that, that some people think is clever. It's called swatting. Now, what swatting is, is it's this, it's sort of like taking crank calls and raising them to a, a, another type of level. All right, swatting is where you call um, an emergency service that you call 911, something like that, and and you, you say something that sends police and emergency service response teams to another person's address. So, you know, you, you, you report an emergency. You, you call up and you say, there's been a shooting at this particular house. You know, send the police. Or you call up and you say, I've just killed my wife and I'm holding the children as hostage and this is where I live. And then, of course, you know, 911 gets this. And what you do is, again, authorities doing what they're supposed to do. They mobilize and, and they, they show up. You bring out the SWAT team and swatting. Um, this is... And then, and then some people apparently think that this is clever. Now, there's been a number of situations where, aside from just the diversion of police resources, et cetera, I mean, this has had some very tragic consequences. There was a guy in Texas who was, he had gotten into an internet tiff with some low-life buddy of his. The buddy, he's in Kansas, the low-life buddy, then calls the authorities and says about the guy in Kansas, hey, you know, he's holding people hostage, et cetera, et cetera. The police show up. The guy goes out on the porch, ends up getting shot and killed. Um, and so now the person did the swatting. He was charged. I don't know. I don't know that that's going to trial yet. That was back last May. But this is it's it's not funny to the extent that crank calls are ever funny. This is not that this is is dangerous. It mobilizes police resources. It, you know, and bad things can happen. And anybody who thinks it's funny has a twisted sense of humor. Now, I bring this up because yesterday in St. Francis, they had a swatting incident. Apparently about what happened about 635 last night, um, the dispatch team in, in St. Francis received a call from someone who said they had just shot a family member inside a residence, and they were holding other family members hostage. All right, who does something like this? But, okay, so so now you're the St. Francis dispatchers. You get this call, I've just killed somebody, and I'm holding other people hostage. Well, what you do, if you're the dispatcher, is you call in the cavalry. And, and there's a huge police response to the residents, including they activate the South Shore Joint Tactical Team. So, yes. This is the SWAT team. These are the people that go in when you've got the hostage situations. And these are the people that go in with the vests and the high-powered rifles and all that type of thing because you've now gotten a report that somebody has killed somebody else and they're holding other people hostage. So they, they all show up. Yes, you've gotten this response. You've mobilized this. Everybody is on their last nerve. They go to the rest residence and they determine that uh, nothing, uh, everybody's safe. No call, just the family having dinner on a Monday night or whatever. And so they determine that this is a, you know, a swatting situation, just essentially a crank call on, on meth, essentially, just kind of ramped up there. And they're investigating who did it. I, hopefully they will find who did it. And then what they will do is they will charge that person. And if, even though this is Milwaukee County, Hopefully, if they catch the person that did this, they will go in in front of a Milwaukee County judge, and they will be a guest of 
the state of Wisconsin for the next two or three years. Because there's nothing funny about this type of thing. But every time I I read one of these stories that that happens, and now, again, this happened last night in in our area, the the possibility that something really bad is going to happen is just amplified. This isn't, look, it's not like you're ordering a pizza to the wrong house. And I'm not, I'm not. Think, think that's funny or anything like that. But this is, you know, you got the SWAT team that shows up and you've got the people, the tactical response folks, and you've got people who think that there's a dead body inside a house and other people who are in danger and they're showing up with the high, right, with the high powered rifles and things like that. There's, you know, this is one of those things where then one mistake and, and you really do have dead people that people that are dead inside the, that house and things like that. So, Anybody who thinks this is funny has a very, very twisted sense of humor. And again, I hope the authorities who, I mean, I hope the authorities, and they, they say they're investigating this. To me, this this is a priority because if you were ever talking about a crime that you, you want to punish somebody for its deterrent effect, you know, when, when they prosecute people and you send people to prison, there's, there's a couple of reasons. You want to punish them. You want to, uh, number one, you want to, you want to punish them. But a lot of times you, you want to do general deterrence. You want to quote unquote send a message that, you know, if other people think this is clever or think this is fun, they better realize that th- there's going to be a significant, you know, cost for playing this particular type of, of poker. Mike on the Northwest side. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Hey, uh, good afternoon, Jeff. Hi, Mike. Hey, uh, my thoughts are that these people, uh, need to get a uh, jail sentence that's more than two to three years that you said. I, I'm thinking five to ten yeah. and pay all the financial consequences for this. They're taking the uh, emergency people off yeah. uh, duty that are going to be uh, helping yeah. other people. Also, uh, there's been like people getting killed on yeah. by accident. Oh, oh, yeah, because, I mean, yes, and that's what happened in, in the Kansas situation. The, the, the SWAT team shows up you've got this guy who's inside the house he has no idea what the heck is going on you know he he comes out of the house they, they scream drop something he's carrying something it's not a gun or anything he's carrying something and he's trying to figure out what goes on he doesn't respond quickly enough and some officer shoots him and it's and, and then he's dead all because you know some bozo and wherever decided to do the swatting now thanks it, this is a big deal it, it's a big deal and anybody who thinks it's funny needs to, I guess, in my opinion, be chilled off for several years as a guest of the state of Wisconsin while they get an opportunity to think about it, if nothing else, to deter other people from doing this kind of thing. Just saying. All right, when we come back, the story of these wildfires and where do we go from here? Stick around. It's 145. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 148. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Coming up during the 2 o'clock hour. Comic books, bathtubs, toilet paper, and Pabst Blue Ribbon beer. Huh. That is the challenge. We're going to get to it all, or at least going to get to as much of it as I possibly can. Stick around. All right. Before that, I have been, I think perhaps as you have, watching these pictures coming out of California and the various wildfires with just, I mean, just a stunned silence. I, I can't imagine 
what it would be like to live in in these various areas. And I, I mean, I keep harkening back, and I told the story, I think, last week. My 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 niece is now a sophomore at San Diego State University, which is, you know, in the southern part of San Diego. We went out there to visit her about a year ago. So, but I'm familiar with, I'm familiar with the entire Southern California area, but, you know, we were in San Diego. And, and if you're not familiar with the, the geography, a, a lot of Southern California, is is dotted with hills. Uh, I mean, a lot of the building is down. A lot of the the building and development is like down in valleys, and then you have houses that are all over hills, and they're very very susceptible. For example, when you have heavy rains to to mudslides. Remember, you've had the stories about that. But they're also particularly susceptible to to fires because in a lot of California. The way it is developed is is the buildings, the towns, are very very close to uh, again forests, and and so I mean people people want to live on the hills, they want to live close to the forests and things like that. So what happens is when you have a fire that breaks out, and when you have a fire that breaks out, it's it's not remote. It 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 oftentimes is very very close to where these towns are. So you have a number of towns that are all up and down California that, that are always going to be threatened because of the geography. When I was out visiting Sydney last last year, one of the things that struck me is California has been in a long-term drought. And in all the hills, like San Diego's kind of in the, this sort of valley-ish thing, all the hills, they, they had vegetation, but the vegetation was all brown. It was just, it you know, there, there's not... What are the, what's the song? It never rains in Southern California. Well, sometimes it rains, but it doesn't rain a lot. They've had a huge drought. And so you can just see all the vegetation is brown. What happens is you have the spark that starts the wildfire. There are certain times of the year where it's very, very windy. The, the, just the, the climate, what happens with the climate is a number of things go on and you get what they call the Santa Ana winds. And so what will happen is you have, again, a fire. Very, very dry conditions, all this wooded area that is close to um, homes, and then you get winds that push the stuff along at 30 and 40 and 50 and 60 miles an hour. And so there's really very, very little that you can do about this. So right now you've got you know uh, what they call the campfire, which is burning up in Northern California. 44 people, I think, so far have lost their lives. Over 6,500 homes have been destroyed. Uh, you've also got what they call the Woolsey Fire, and that is the one that is burning in Southern California, and it's been hitting Malibu and a lot of the homes, the enclaves where the celebrities live. So far, that has destroyed 370 structures. Um, up in the northern part of California, that where this Woolsey Fire is burning, um, there, there's a town. Called, it's called Paradise. It, it's been just completely destroyed. The, the town and other nearby towns have had fires before. This one apparently has never had a fire. This town is just gone. It's just absolutely gone. And there's a lot of finger pointing that, that's going on. I mean, President Trump, I think, issued an unfortunate tweet late last week where he blamed California State Forestry Department for their, their failure to essentially clear dead wood. And, and that was unfortunate. First of all, I don't think you do that 
when when you're dealing with a natural disaster of this scope. I mean, there's there's time to point fingers later on. Secondly, it, it appears that that tweet might be ill considered because a lot of the land that's burning is federal land that's under federal control, and I don't even know that it's necessarily their their what happened in this particular case is because they they didn't clear brush. The northern fire they think was caused by sparks from a power line, but re- regardless, you, you've got this this major devastation. And now with the loss of thousands and thousands and thousands of homes, and again, these areas are prone to fire. Here, Here's the question, and the question becomes, do you rebuild? You know, we, we talk about this a lot, where you have houses that are in coastal regions that are, you know, hit by hurricanes on a regular basis, or homes that live in, that, that are, are located in low-lying areas, and it seems like every spring the town or the home floods. Well, in this case, you know, you have a number of homes, including lots of high-end homes, that are in areas that are prone to these wildfires. And maybe it's not, the home's not going to always be destroyed, but you're going to have the evacuation orders. 414-799-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. In these areas that are prone to these fires, do you rebuild or do you move on? And the devastation has just been incredible. But how do people handle this? 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss in just a moment. It's 154. 157, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Devin in Fond du Lac. Devin, good afternoon. Hi, I think that you uh, rebuild. Okay. Tell me why. Uh, to a lot of these people, you know, it's more than just a home. It's or I should say it's more than just a house, it's a home. Mm-hmm. So, I, you know, there's the emotion connected to it, and, you know, obviously it's a beautiful area. So I think uh, I think there'll be rebuilding going on. You know, I don't think people will just, you know, move well, on. I think they'll rebuild. I don't know. I think that it, it is interesting, and that's going to be one of the decisions. I just, I look at all, and I, I'm scared of fire. I, I freely admit that. I am, I am scared of fire. When I was a prosecutor, every once in a while we do these arson cases where you'd have people that would come and light stuff up. I'm, I'm, I'm terrified of fire. I, I admit it. I, you, you see the destructive nature of this, and, and you look at what's been going on, and whether it's climate change or whatever you want to call it. I mean, you, you're seeing more and more of these fires, and, and again, part because you, you've got you know people that are building homes relatively close to these different areas that are prone to this. You've got the droughts that are going on. I guess I, I have to tell you, I, I look at this kind of devastation, and I got to think that if that had been, and again, I understand some people, some people can't move for for whatever reason. You don't have that option. But I will tell you, I think if if I had been one of those people that had had run the gauntlet. You know, driving through the uh, down the, the road where you got the fire on both sides with my kid in the back, you know, just hoping to save your life. And this had been the third or the fourth sort of time that you might have been facing an evacuation order or neighboring towns were. I have to tell you, I, I think to the extent I could move, I'd be looking at finding some place where, okay, maybe you don't have to worry twice or three times a year whether you're going to lose your house to fire. But that is just me. Coming up right after Melissa's news. Bathtubs, comic books, Pabst Blue Ribbon beer, and toilet paper. We're going to try to get to it all. Stick around. 208, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Okay, Melissa, can I ask you a personal question? You sure can. 
Oh, all right. <laughs> I was ready for that, that one. I don't know. <laughs> that's that's just that's just trusting there. Oh, all right. Okay. Right. No no hesitation. Uh, I know. Right. Okay. Are you a bathtub gal or a shower gal? Shower. You are a shower gal. Yes. All right. Um, would you consider buying an apart buying a, a home or an apartment that didn't even have a bathtub? Yes. You would. So because you just you just it's well. You, to be honest with you, the place that I live and I live in Shorewood in an old home, but I live on the bottom level, so there's only a shower anyway. Right. So you but and so you don't you don't miss it. I don't it's not miss like it, you've no. got to have a bathtub. Not at all. Okay. Yeah. No, but because I I'm I'm a shower I'm a shower guy. I mean the the house I lived in in Whitefish Bay for 30 years, it it had there there were two two full baths. One but one just had a shower. And the other one had a tub and a separate shower, and I don't think in 30 years that that tub ever got used. Yeah. I mean, be, because my late wife was a shower girl, and I was a shower guy, we just never used it. Yeah, I don't think a lot of people use bath. It's kind of a luxury thing. Like, I mean, I like hot tubs, but I don't shower. You know, I mean, oh. I just go shower. Okay. Yeah. All right. All right. Good yeah. enough. Thank oh, you. Thanks. All right. No, see, this is, and, and the re- there, there's a reason. There's a method to my madness, other than just pure curiosity about, you know, M- Melissa's life. And, and that is because... Years and years ago, you wouldn't think of, of building a bathroom without a, a bathtub. But this, you're moving away from this. I, I was thinking about, and there's a story that I'll, I'll get to in just a second, but I was thinking about a number of the hotels I, I, I've stayed in recently, and the vast majority of them, not all, but the vast majority of them, including the newer ones, they haven't had, they haven't had bathtubs. It's all been, there's been kind of some exotic bathrooms, but a lot of them, I was thinking, you know, we were in Key West in February, and we were staying at a pretty nice resort, and, and the bathroom was quite nice, but there, there wasn't there wasn't a bathtub. There was a, a full-size kind of walk-in shower with like a fancy thing, but it was, but it was, it was a shower. Now, obviously, we were on a river cruise, and, and that, that just had a shower. It didn't have a bathtub. Most, not not all, but many of the newer hotels I've stayed in, Again, they haven't had they haven't had a bathtub. It's just been a shower, which is absolutely you know fine fine with me because I don't remember the last time that I've I've actually taken a bath. You know, sometimes you have um, I, the hotel I was staying at in Las Vegas when I was there last month. I mean, it, it's one where there's a bathtub and it's the shower, you know, all kind of connected. But but I mean, I wasn't taking the bath. I bring this up because there's a fascinating story in the Washington Post today about how. Trends when they look at it not only for hotel rooms but also for homes, more and more people with new construction and when they retrofit their bathrooms are saying we don't need a, a bathtub anymore. And as a matter of fact, it's saying that when when people do decide to put a bathtub in, many times it's not because they want the bathtub. But rather, it's simply because they're afraid that if they go to sell their house at some point in time in the future, and it doesn't hurt have a bathtub, it, it might hurt you know the, the resale value of the home. So you've got some people who are putting this in, saying, "Okay, well, you know, we're not going to ever use it, but here we'll we'll have it there." Now, the flip side is sometimes you have people that are saying, "Okay, I, I want the giant hot tub, or I want the jacuzzi, or something like that." But if you talk to a lot of builders. The traditional bathtub is falling out of favor. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line.
Would you consider buying or living in a home without without a bathtub? Or is this just an absolute necessity? Now, I, I would understand, matter of fact, I've gotten three texts already talking about how, well, if you've got small children, you, you just absolutely have to have a, a bathtub, you know, because you're you're not going to wash the kids, you know, you're, you're going to need to put them in the bathtub. But at that aside, perhaps, would you consider living in a home that did not have a bathtub? Do you need a bathtub? If you are a young adult or, you know, an empty nester or something, would you consider going, is a bathtub, which was always you know, one of the things that you absolutely have to have. It, it, do we need that anymore? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And I guess, again, I'm seeing this trend, and the story I was looking at today in the Washington Post is just talking about how more and more people, again, are making this decision that things have changed, you need the showers, and they'd rather put the money into building like a really nice shower or something like that as opposed to having the bathtub. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage uh, talk and text line. All right. You need a bathtub or are you a shower? And in our bathtubs, and this is what I think is interesting, are bathtubs going to go the way, again, of the dinosaur and the daily delivered newspaper? 414-799-1620. Mark in Waukesha. Mark, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, good afternoon. We built a house a number of years ago, and it's got a nice Whirlpool tub and a walk-in shower next right. to it. Um, I used the Whirlpool once. And <laughs> the water got cold in five minutes because the water's getting atomized with all the air bubbles and everything. And I thought, run the hot water to get it warmed up again. And I thought, nah, this is stupid. I drained it, it rinsed <laughs> off in the shower, and I haven't used it since. I go to the Y, they recycle hot water, so you can sit there for four hours to right. handle it. So you spent all this money putting in a Whirlpool tub, and you used it once. Well, it was part of the home package. Right. Yeah, I, I would prefer a bigger shower or a tile in the shower than nicer. Right. Okay. No, thanks. I think more and more people are, are starting to to do that. And, again, that, that, used, that, that was one of the trends, and that's what the story talks about. One of the trends was, okay, everybody had to have, you wanted the giant Whirlpool tub and, and things like that. But what they're finding is lots of people, they have them, they spent the dough on them, but they don't end up using them. And, again, there's a little bit of, of regret that's there. It's like, gee, if I was going to spend this money, I would have rather had a bigger shower or a cooler shower or some of these other features. Carly in Oconomowoc. Carly, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. How are you? I am well, thank you. Can you do, a, can you do without a shower? I mean, without a tub? So I'm a young adult, and my husband and I, two years ago, remodeled our uh, our bathroom downstairs and right. took out the bathtub and did a range of waterfall showers thing like that um we just had a newborn and we are so regretting it because now <laughs> we are going up and down the stairs and he's a wiggly baby right. and all these uh sleepless nights make me really want to uh you know soak in a tub once in a while so. <laughs> right so you so you you went the way you were ahead of the curve and getting rid of the bathtub and now you regret it a little bit huh yes yeah. Okay. Look look into the future. A couple years from now when your your child's a little bit older and maybe able to, you know, bathe themselves and stuff, you think you're gonna miss it then? Probably not. Right. But right now we're really regretting it. Um, right. <laughs> so they call. Well that and that's I see I, I guess it kinda depends on the point of life you're in. And that's why you have a lot of people, like I say, when they're building these houses, and that's what the story in the Washington Post is talking about, they're building these houses and they're saying, Okay, we don't want the tub. And we don't want to spend the money really to put the tub in, 
but we understand that if it ever comes time to sell the house, that we're going to really limit ourselves if we don't don't have that tub. And that's, for example, when I got ready to sell the, the house that I'd lived in for 30 years, a house I just absolutely loved, I'm glad we had the tub, even though even though the tub, I, I don't. I don't remember ever taking a bath in that tub in 30 years, but the water worked and all that type of stuff, just because, again, it wasn't something that we did. If you are traveling and you're staying in newer hotels, notice this trend, because what they're finding is bathtubs aren't important to people anymore. And and actually, especially at a lot of the high-end hotels, they're finding that most people would rather have showers. So it's one of those trends that's out there, and you are now up on it. When we come back, all right, that was bathtubs. I want to talk to you about comic books, and I want to share a couple emails that I got yesterday, and I want to challenge I want to challenge the premise of a couple of these people who reached out to me. Stick around. It's 217. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 221, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. The Bucks are back home after a tough West Coast road trip against a slew of potential playoff teams. They look to keep their winning ways going as they welcome the Memphis Grizzlies to town. Ted Davis is on the call. Our coverage starts at 7 o'clock tomorrow evening. Be sure to check that out. Um, Jeff, I am a contractor. We do tub-to-shower conversions weekly. People don't seem to want tubs anymore. They want showers. It just seems very popular, and they have no concerns because like, they also they, they have no concerns about resale because they feel like they're living in the house and the next person can do what they want to do if they need to. Um, interesting. Here's another text. Renovated my bathroom last year, removed the tub, installed a tile, custom walk-in shower. Absolutely beautiful. Don't regret it for a second. And most of the people who are on the other side of this are saying, well, we, we've got kids and we've got small kids, etc." I I do wonder, you know, again, I understand the small kids thing, but moving forward, I would not be surprised if this ends up being one of the major home improvement trends that are there. All right. Yesterday, we had the, the breaking news that the... Um, One of the driving forces behind Marvel Comics, Stan Lee, passed away at the age of of 95. And and I told the story. I grew up reading comic books. I mean, I this is one where I kick myself because all these famous Marvel comic books, that was the time that they were coming out at the time that I was learning to read, you know, in in the early 1960s. Yeah, I'm that old. And. And, and I, I, I mean, I remember, I remember having copies. I remember Avengers number one. I had that. And back in the day, you didn't realize these comic books were going to be worth something someday. I mean, I, I'm, I'm a kid. So, you know, every, every Friday, you'd get your allowance and my, my dad or my mother would take me down to the drugstore and these comics were 10 cents or 12 cents or whatever. And you, and you'd, you'd get a dollar and you'd buy five or six of them. That's how I'd spend my allowance. And, and, and these are, now these are these comic books that I had in my hand. I can remember them, but, you know, they just get tossed out because they're comic books. You read them once. They're disposable. You don't realize that Avengers number one is going to go for $7,000 or whatever. But I had it. I had the Spider-Man number one. I had the amazing fantasy where Spider-Man first appeared. I had Fantastic Four number one. I had them all. And I don't have many of them anymore. still have a couple. But But I grew up learning to read comic books. And I told this story yesterday. Um, I... I just, I, I started reading the comic books early on, um, and it, it I, one of the greatest things that I had growing up, and one of the greatest things that my parents instilled in me was a passion for reading that I, I still have to this day. At any given time, 
I've got three or four books going. I'm, I'm just, I'm an avid reader. I think it makes my mind more active. And I just, I, I enjoy it, which isn't to say that I won't have like sports on the TV, but I'm also reading at the same time. But I started reading comic books. I, I, I just did. And I didn't, I didn't understand all the words. I started reading the Marvel comic books. I was a huge Marvel fan growing up. And I, I just, I, there was words I, I, like I say, there were words I didn't know what they meant or how to pronounce them. And I'd, I'd bug my parents. I'd go in and say, okay, what's this word? And what does it mean? Et cetera, et cetera. But, but the passion that I have for reading that I think has served me well over the course of my lifetime, I, it, it came from comic books. And I don't, I don't apologize for that. And I don't, I, I don't hesitate in sharing that with you because it's one of the things, again, some people, you know, read funny papers. Some people read the newspaper, but the important thing is, I think you read. So I was telling that story, and about how I mean, comic books got me, got me interested in reading, and that's why you know Stan Lee, the founder of not the founder, but you know the, the driving force behind Marvel Comics and the creator of all these superheroes that now you see at the movie theaters on a regular basis. I mean, he was he was one of the driving forces together with a couple other people for this this what they call the silver age of, of comics just the, this incredible renaissance so i was telling the story and I, I got a couple texts and emails from people saying oh come on really really you're, you're talking about how, how comic books you know gave you the incentive to learn to read and stuff like that i mean come on it, it, these are these are just comic books these things are kind of disposable comic books don't drive people to learn to read or things like that and i, I got to wondering whether am I this completely unique sort of person? But I, I grew up on comic books. I, I, I did. And, and, and again, I, I like the stories. Now, I mean, I, it's been a long time since I've read a comic book, but I, I know the different characters and things like that. I, I love the stories. To me, they were like written and illustrated kind of soap operas. But I, I make no bones about growing up liking to read comic books. And I think, I think it served me well over the course of my lifetime. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. Is that, is that a ridiculous sort of thing? Or do we, do we have a common experience here? A- am I the only person around there that, that grew up just reading comic books and, and using that kind of as a launching point to more sophisticated types of, of reading? But there's no question in my mind that that the fact that I love reading and continue to do it to this day, it, it came from this fascination I had early on with comic books. Should we be embarrassed by that? 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. My, my guess is there's a lot of people out there that maybe it sounds silly to kind of admit it, but my guess is there's a lot of people out there who, again, started, maybe you're in the situation, just like like me, Started with comic books. Here's a text. Jeff, I started with comic books, too. I'm with you. From there, I went to the Hardy Boys mysteries. Yeah, I remember the Hardy Boys mysteries as well. But, yeah, it's it's that type of stuff. Jeff, it's not ridiculous at all. I grew up reading comic books in the 80s throughout the terrible comic books in the 90s, and I still read comic books today. 414-799-1620. All right. Comic book fans of Wisconsin unite Stan Lee's passed away. All right. Do comic books play a role in your growing up and your learning to love to read? We discuss in just a minute. It's 227. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. If you're on the line, please hold on. 229. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Katie in Burlington. Hi, Katie. 
Jeff, you own that with pride that you read those comic books because I don't understand how anyone would take the time to complain about reading. They had characters. They had plot development. Not only were you learning to sound out words and cite words, but you were learning about foreshadowing, infancy, context, all of that. My son, who's now 13, owned every single one of the Garfield comic books, which were even less of, of the actual plot and the story. But it made him love reading that he carries on. He loves reading. And it helped him. because. So I don't know why anyone would complain. Pick up a book, whether it has pictures or doesn't, and read. Right, exactly. You, 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 thanks for going. It'll make a huge difference in, in your life. Ryan in Racine. Ryan, you're in WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Ryan. Uh, yeah, for me, I'm totally with you. For me, when I was a kid, it was comic books. And pro wrestling magazine. <laughs> like pro wrestling illustrated or whatever. Yeah, huh? and WWF magazine and because it's the same thing basically when you think about it, comic right. books and wrestling. Right. <laughs> right. Well they're characters and stuff. But it, it it's 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 what taught you to love reading and then you, exactly. you graduate from that. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Thanks. That's, see that's what I say. I mean, I don't care I don't care what it is that gets people reading, but as long as you're doing that. Bill and Amro. Bill, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, hi, thanks. Um, I I had a paper out in Cudahy from 1962 to 66. Okay. And every week on a Tuesday and a Thursday, we'd go to the hobby shop and buy whatever the newest comic book. Right. And I knew if they were, he wasn't there, he was going to be there. So I would wait. So I had every issue for four years. Uh-huh. I had a box of them. Right. And I went to put away some of my new ones that my brother also in the boxes got. I says, hey, where'd my comic books? Well, you already read them, so I gave them to my friend. Oh, <laughs> and, and these are like 62 to 66, and you're reading every, comic books. The every, X-Men and Fantastic Four everyone, and Avengers. Yeah, all, all of them, when they were invented. Oh, right, know. exactly. They would be worth tens of thousands oh, of dollars. Now, oh, yeah. We just didn't know. No, thanks. So we, we just, we just throw, Mom would say, okay, you're done with those comic books, and she'd pack them up, and she'd chuck them out. Who knew that these things would be worth thousands of dollars? <sighs> 237, Jeff Bradford, WTMJ, the holidays. They are right around the corner. We are back with our annual holiday radio show, which is two weeks from yesterday. WTMJ presents The Night Before Christmas, starring Gene Miller, the one and only Jane Matinera, yours truly, and a sleigh full of Wisconsin celebrities. From Turner Hall in downtown Milwaukee on Monday, November 26th at 6.30, the live radio play is recorded in front of a studio audience. You can be part of it. You have an opportunity still to buy tickets, but um, my note says... There are less than fifty, and I think we sold more this year. We, I think we we sold. We decided to sell more this year than we did in previous years. Uh, but there are less than fifty left, and my guess is they're going to be gone anytime. They're twenty five bucks. I think five bucks out of every ticket goes to uh, charity. Go to wtmj.com. Text the word Christmas to four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Do not be shut out. I got my tickets today, so I'm very much looking forward to it. Gru, you're going to be there, right? You should be. Yes, absolutely. You're. You're going to be one of those people. You're going to be working this, too, right? You're going to be doing, like, the behind-the-scenes stuff, or you don't know. Oh, Bruce says he might just be there. All right. Well, we want you to be there as well. So there's less than 50 tickets left. Don't fool around. Come and get the tickets now. Uh, really, a whole series of interesting texts of, about this. Um, 
Let's see. A lot of interesting texts here. Um, I, I had the first, here's somebody text. I had the first 36 issues of The Flash when I was nine started me towards a journalism degree at UW. Here's another one. My two brothers started on comic books. Um, they are now avid readers of history, chess, and current events. Courtney says, I wish I had gotten into comic books sooner because I probably would have started reading and began enjoying much earlier in life. Reading was always a struggle for me in school, and something more creative with more visuals may have gotten me into it earlier. Um, absolutely. Here's another text. I loved comic books back in the 60s. I could be found at the local drugstore soda fountain on any given Saturday with a cherry Coke and a new Superman comic. That is why I love to read, to which I say, you know, absolutely amen. I learned another text. I read with comics and am an avid reader today. In social situations, chatting with younger people, they mostly say they have no time to read, yet they all know what's going on with um Whoever is up there on Dancing with the Stars. And there is an element of truth to that. All right. Let us switch gears. Last week, there was a proposal floating around. There's going to be a lame duck session of the legislature. Lame duck means that you have the legislature is is outgoing. There, there's people who are going to be retiring. There's other people who have been reelected. But there's going to be a legislative session for a couple weeks. And we all know the biggest change is that you have um, the the governorship is going to change. Governor Walker lost the election last Tuesday. Boy, that's just a week ago. Doesn't that seem like just forever ago? But, I mean, it's just that the election was last Tuesday. And the results weren't decided until early Wednesday morning when Milwaukee County, the city of Milwaukee, suddenly found 45,000 ballots that they hadn't hadn't got counted in a timely fashion and they had the dump. But okay, so Tony Evers is going to be the, the governor elect, but he doesn't take over till January. So if you remember last week, there was um, some proposals being floated around during the, the lame duck session to do some things to roll back the rulemaking power of the incoming governor. I argued against it simply because not, not because I don't think it would be perhaps good to restrict some of the power that Tony Evers had, but because I, I believe that, that elections have consequences. And I, I don't think that, again, a, a lame duck session of the legislature should kind of change the rules. I think it's just, if nothing else, it's bad form. And I understand they're talking about, well, maybe you should codify this rule or we're worried that Tony Evers might do this or that or the other thing. Well, elections have consequences. And if if Tony Evers changes things, well, all right, that's an issue that you have to run against Tony Evers if he runs for re-election four years ago. I, I think, you know, when you are a lame duck session of, again, the legislature, you need to be careful. And I think for Governor Walker's legacy, I, I think you also have to be careful as to what you sign into law. All right, to that extent, one of the things that is hanging fire is this proposal that's been out there for a while to take somewhere between a 100 and $117 million in taxpayer money and use it to bail out a Kimberly Clark plant in the Fox Valley. Kimberly Clark, which, of course, you know, paper products and things like that, the industry has been struggling. Kimberly Clark says that there's, there's two plants. They're closing a smaller one for sure, and they have said that, well, if we get a Foxconn type of bailout, you know, we'll look at keeping 
our second plant open that pays that employs about 500 people. All right, so that's the proposal that's out there. Nothing, they weren't able to get a consensus on this. In general, Democrats opposed it, and some Republicans opposed it. But they all decided, I think, that this was too hot a potato to take on immediately before the election. So now it's after the election. There's going to be the special session of the legislature, but the issue, the issue is still out there. And what we have to decide is whether you go ahead and look at what would be a significant, number one, expenditure of money. But number two, again, this is an example of government playing favorites, deciding, all right, you know, you've got a plant that employs 500 people. This isn't like Foxconn. This isn't a, this isn't a new business that's coming in and, and bringing jobs. This is an old business that we're looking at trying to give you a bunch of money to, to save jobs. And, of course, in January, January, what is it, 7th or whatever, you're going to have a new governor. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. Should we bail out Kimberly Clark over the course of the next couple weeks? And I guess there's really two issues. Number one is, is it a good idea to do it? And number two, if it's going to be done, right, should it be done by Governor Walker and the current legislature, or should we say, look, this is, we should take a fresh look at this. And if Tony Evers wants to do it and, you know, can get a consensus, let him own it. I mean, is this something we should be doing over the course of the next, uh, again, month and a half? 414-799-1620. If you're on the line, hold on. We discuss in just a moment. It's 244, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 247, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right, the, the, the whole idea that this Kimberly Clark, I'm going to describe it as a bailout. Um, I, I, I have been opposed to it, simply not because I have anything against Kimberly Clark, and I, I'd hate them to move the jobs. I just don't think that government can be picking winners and, and losers and saying, all right, here you have this existing manufacturer. It's in a struggling industry. We're going to to you know give you this money to stay. Where do you end up drawing the line? But I especially feel like that decision, maybe you disagree with me, but I don't think that decision should be made by a lame duck legislature and a governor who, unfortunately, in my opinion, you know, I, I, I'm sorry that Scott Walker lost, but I don't think that Scott Walker should be making that decision. I think it's a decision for Tony Evers. If Evers wants to go on record and he wants to support this, Fine, let, let him do it and let him own it. 414-799-1620. Let's start with Steve in Green Bay. Steve, you're on WTMJ. Steve. Thanks for taking my call. Hi, Steve. As telling the screener, I worked in the paper industry for 39 years, um, including for a lot of large corporations, one being New Page. We ended up buying the consolidated paper mills, and we had to close three of them in the state of Wisconsin because they just weren't economically competitive. Right. And I just don't see, you know, no one was there to bail us out, nor do I think anybody should bail Kimberly Clark out. It's just a matter of consolidation in the industry. Right. Quite honestly, the paper is a dying industry. When you well, look at Foxconn, that's transformational. That's something new. Right. You're, you're talking about, right. See, and that, see, I agree. I see this as a distinction. Foxconn is maybe, in my opinion, a once-in-a-generation opportunity to to bring something that is, doesn't exist anywhere in the United States, to bring it into the United States and bring it into southeastern Wisconsin with the potential for tens of thousands of jobs. I'm right. not I pro- mean, it's transformational. I mean, yeah. it's something that, that's going to go leaps and bounds above an old paper mill. Right. I, and I'm not, and don't get me wrong, thanks to God, I'm not poo-pooing 
the value of, of 500 jobs at a, a at an aging paper mill in in the Fox Valley. I mean, I, I understand that that's significant, particularly if you're you know one of those people that has has those jobs. So I, I understand it, but I just I don't think the state can be in a position where every time you have an industry that's challenged that you can say, okay, well, we're going to give you this money or we're going to give you that money. I think the Foxconn thing is a different sort of setup. And I think, you know, if Kimberly Clark decides and it makes sense for them to stay, that, that that's great. But again, going to my second point, I don't think it's a decision that Governor Walker and the outgoing legislature should make. I think it's a decision for the new governor to make together with the new legislature. And maybe they're going to see it the, the same way. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Dean in Hales Corners. Dean, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. My reasoning for not helping them with the bailout is their bad business decisions are not my problem. They need to be more efficient. They need to find better and more strategic ways to operate. And if they can't do that, I'm sorry, we're a capitalist nation here, and you go under. And those, I'm sorry for those 500 people that don't have jobs anymore, but you know what? That's just the way the world works. And why should I bail you out with my hard-earned tax money? Because you can't make good business decisions. Well, and, and then the issue becomes where... Okay, where, where do we draw the line? If I if I own if I own an established restaurant that employs a hundred people, and now because of changes in the industry or competition or whatever, I, I'm looking at having closed the doors to my restaurant. Should the legislature come in and say, "Oh, here we're Jeff, what, here's what we're going to do. We want you to stay open, and we're going to underwrite it, and here's X amount of million dollars, and to, to save those hundred jobs." I mean, where where do you end up drawing the line? And I understand exactly. it's a tough call, but I, you know, is the is the restaurant that's about ready to go out of business, or is the is the the retail store? I mean, wh- where do you draw the line? That's the problem. Right. It's it's a very very slippery slope, and where do you draw the line? Right. And I don't think I want to go down as a capitalist down that slippery slope, because every time you turn around, who's paying for it but the taxpayers? And we shouldn't have to pay for those things, again, they're your mistakes. Well, right, or, th- or, or, just, the, the, or just the evolution of, of a business. Now, again, nobody wants to see people lose their jobs at the same, at the same time, and I, I mean that, and I understand it sincerely. At the same time, you know, we're at a rare occasion in Wisconsin where, you know, we essentially have full employment. I mean, they're... I, and and can you easily necessarily replace the job that you're doing at this plant? Well, well, maybe not. But th- there's a lot of jobs that are around. This isn't like it was, you know, eight or ten years ago, where we were dealing with a massive recession and ten percent unemployment. I mean, there there are jobs there. So nobody ever wants to lose the job. And I understand these are good paying jobs, and it's going to be tougher to perhaps replace them. But there's probably never been a better time in recent Wisconsin history. If you got to find a job, to to be out there and do it. I mean, I, but this is, and again, it ties into the second point I've been stressing. All right, this, this to me is a policy test for the incoming Evers administration. Are we going to take taxpayer money, and are we going to bail out companies? You know, who are saying, "All right, we've hit a tough time," and are we going to use Foxconn as the model and as the justification? for taking existing companies who might be going through a tough time or facing changing market trends and spending taxpayer dollars to, to bail them out. But I guess I would argue that this is a decision that the new governor should be able to make. Elections have consequences. 
during the run-up to this, you had a number of Democrats who were screaming about this. Oh, no, no, we can't spend this money. We can't bail out. A number of the same ones who opposed the Foxconn thing. Okay, okay, fine. Voters have put Tony Evers in. Maybe let's kick this decision 60 days down the road and allow Tony Evers to say where he stands on this. Let him make the decision and let him set the tempo because, candidly, he's going to have to be the one that lives with the consequences of this over the next several years. Just saying. It's 2.54. When we come back, we're going to find out what John McCure has on his mind on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Please stick around.